Good morning, Aletheia. There's a lot of you here. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, as you already heard, my name is Josh, or Isaiah. There's a few other different options, but that's not what we're going to talk about right now. Um, you can call me Fetterman. That works, too. Um, I am an intern here at Aletheia, and as part of our heart as a church, we like to see people grow in what they're gifted in and have opportunities to serve and really practice those gifts. So we believe in the four E's, which is to engage, equip, encourage, and empower. So this is a moment for them as they've known me over the past few years and my desire to grow in this, that they are empowering me to get to do this before you now uh, and a heart to see me serve in this way and grow that maybe one day I might continue to do this. Um, in the same way, we love when our church is serving and a call to you guys like, hey, you know, if there's ways you'd like to serve, if you have certain talents, we would love for you to serve. It'd be great. Uh, so if that is something that you're not doing and would like to do, if you're an active member of this church, we, we would love for you to come alongside us and do that. Um, whether it be helping out with kids ministry, we would love that. It's good practice. Who wants to be married one day? Who wants to be married one day? I expect a lot more. Are, are you telling me half this church does not want to be married one day? All right, I expect you actually to have raised your hand even, you just don't want to admit you can watch kids. Uh, it's good practice, and the parents would love for you to watch their kids and play around with them. They're a lot of fun, I can uh, admit to you, it's, it's fun. Um, in light of that, feel free to talk to me, or Daniel, or Kevin, or, or Theo, and we would love to hook you up with that. Um, I know yesterday was a long day, a very long day, go Gators. Um, but in light of that, uh, it was hot outside, I was there, and uh, so that we can focus, and I'm sure for some of you who stayed up late, uh, I just want to pray real quick to uh, start us out, uh, and for me as well, because uh, Lord knows I need it. So, um, Father, I just come before you uh, and ask that as we hear the words today, that you would speak through me, Holy Spirit, would you empower me to be bold in a message that, that can sometimes be challenging? Um, and I ask that we can just be focused and that you would be moving in our hearts, not just to understand what you're saying, but to have a desire to do it and act it out, Father. So we just ask that you are with us this morning in Jesus' name. All right. So, first of all, uh, one of the things we like to do is we have these journals for you. So I have a couple helpers right here. If you do not have a journal, we would love to give you one. This is our gift to you. It has the scripture on one side and a journal on the other side. Because the inner teacher in me says, taking notes helps you remember significantly better. Can I get a woot woot from the teachers? Yeah, exactly. It is so true. Uh, statistically, it backs it up. And for those of you who are up a little too late last night, it gives you something physical to do so you don't nod off in my sermon. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you'll soon realize that I'm kind of a comedian at heart. Um, and <laughs> Thank you, Derek. And you might hear it come in here or there today, but the reality is today the message is serious. There is a... Um, high ramification for much to consider this morning, and as much as I may make a joke here or there, the reality is most of this will be a very pointed and serious message about what we're called to do as believers. So, we are in a series called Go and Tell as we're moving through the book of Acts, and it talks a lot about how we see the early church expand and grow as they're sharing their faith and what they believe with other people. If you still need a journal, you can raise your hand real quick. If you didn't get one yet, anyone else? Yeah, we've got a few more in the back. All right. Um, so it's this idea of how we see the empowerment of how we do this, the um, plan and the purpose behind why we're doing this. So to understand that, we're going to go to Acts 1.8, uh, which Kevin preached on in the first week. So we're going to go to Acts 1.8, and it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we see three things here. We see the power, which is the Holy Spirit. This is one of the foundational ideas of our time in Acts is that Guys, I'm sorry, you can be really smart and do a lot of things, but without the Holy Spirit, you will not be anywhere near as capable um, with him working through us and enabling him and letting him do that as he empowers us as believers. This is a gift from God to help us through our life and all that we do. Not only that, but we see the purpose, which is to witness 
Our faith is not something we just hold up inside and hope no one talks to us about, but it's something we're excited about. So we're going to witness. It's a call from Christ to be witnesses. And then lastly, the plan. So we're supposed to be witnesses, but how? And it's, it's locally, like for them in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but also to the ends of the earth and globally. So as a church, this entails our whole mission. Um, we see that we are leading people to become growing followers of Jesus Christ. And this lines up with our vision to do it locally for the campus through student organizations like BCM, Crew, NAVS, Young Life, etc. And locally in the community through stuff like working alongside Created, trying to help out at St. Francis House, being intentional with our communities and our neighbors. Right? So we want to do this locally, but also globally, and try to reach the whole earth with the gospel and share this truth with them. And that happens specifically for Aletheia in Berenquil, Colombia, and the greater area of Colombia, as we're trying to reach out, as we've partnered with, um, I want to say it right, so bear with me, uh, Iglesia Alumbra, and helping them as they grow as a church, and trying to partner with more churches and help them grow as more Christ-centered and gospel-centered churches down there, and going alongside them. One of the ways we do that is we try to support them and support that community. And for instance, you'll hear about it at the end of the sermon, but we do a toy drive just to help bless that community and really allow them to reach families and uh, kids. So as you hear about that, I encourage you, please try to get involved with us in that to really bless that area in Colombia. So that brings us to what we are talking about today which is being witnesses, right? So this is our purpose, is to be witnesses. But there's a further call that we aren't just witnesses, but we are witnesses that are supposed to be bold in sharing our faith, even through challenges. Because as I'm sure you've all experienced, if any one of you has tried to share your faith, it is not easy. I don't know about you guys, but I get nervous. I start sweating in the palms. Or, you know, someone asks me a question, I'm like, oh, I better say the exact right words. They're, you know, they're just going to deny me right up front. And, and so, like, there's a fear there. And, and, you know, we're a little scared sometimes. So what does it mean to witness boldly, even in light of persecution or people who push against us? Um, so... The one takeaway, if there was one thing to write down, so this is when you pull out your pen, and you're like, okay, I'm going to write this down. You, you want to write this down, is that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus and his word at all times to all people. This is the summary of what we're talking about today, that we are going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ at all times to all people. There's no backing down in this. And we're going to see how this plays out today in Acts. So, in light of this, what is the setting? So, last week, Daniel, uh, Espy, wonderful guy, um, had a, a frustrating day yesterday. Um, you can ask him why. Um, but he taught us about how we are empowered to give, to give our time, our talents, and our treasures. And most importantly, the biggest treasure we have is the gospel of Christ, right? The hope that we have in him is greater than anything we have in this world. And in light of that, we are called to give that and to be witnesses of that through our time, our treasures, and our talents. And in this specific passage in Acts 3, 1 through 10, we see Peter and John heal a lame beggar who, as we saw in verse 22 of chapter 4, has, is about 40 years old and has been lame for most of his life. So someone that people have seen over and over and over again just being lame there. But they bring what they do have. They don't have treasure. They don't have coins. But they have the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in them. And they heal this man and give him something so much greater uh, than anything in this life, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus, as, as he receives that from them. Um, now, I don't know about you, but if you saw someone who was lame for 40 years and all of a sudden they're walking again, um, you'd be like, wow. You might have been like, whoa. <laughs> but <laughs> half of you understood that, half of you didn't. It's okay. Look it up on YouTube. Um, but with that, um, <laughs> this causes a lot of people to come and like, what is going on? Like, this man is walking. This is crazy. And in light of this, they use this as an opportunity to share their faith, to be bold witnesses of Christ. 
So let's read in Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 26. We're not going to read it all, I promise. Um, but let's see how they share their faith boldly. They start out in, chapter, in verse 11 saying, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Well, thanks, Peter. That's very nice of you. Um... This is highly offensive and very hurtful to say, you guys killed the man who tried to save you. What is wrong with you? And it's, it's, it's hard to hear because he's calling them out on their sin and what they've done wrong. And as we see how highly offensive this is, we realize that this isn't just towards them, but also to us. Guys, the reality is you have sinned and fallen short of this connection that God wants with you. He says he wants you to be perfect and in union with him. But all of us have turned away from that and have chosen to pursue other things, to be selfish and to say, well, I want to, you know, do this instead. And, you know, like have fun and just waste time and, and way you look at people and all these things that, that disconnects us from God. And he's calling us out on and them on their sin to say, you guys have fallen short and you have broken your covenant and communion with God. Now, the reality is, it's not offensive because Peter and John try to make it offensive. It's offensive because confronting sin, confronting the things you've done wrong, is offensive. Because it's saying you are less than good and you cannot qualify before the Lord on your own. There's good news, though. And thankfully, Peter does not stop here, but he brings us to hope in Verses 16 through 21. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man, the lame man, strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also the, your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ, the Christ, appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Wow. So yes, you have failed and fallen short, but there is hope. God has sent his son, which he already foretold in the Old Testament, to blot out your sins and to reunite you with God through his son, Jesus. So there is hope if you turn from these ways and look towards him, receive him, and accept him, and follow him as your Lord. This is the gospel. This is the pinnacle of the message of what we believe as Christians. This is the foundation of everything we believe is the gospel. That there's hope in Christ where otherwise we would be disconnected from God through Jesus. We are united to God in hope and life with him. It's beautifully summarized in verse 26 of chapter 3. God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So there is hope. Now in this, we then get to see how they respond. This is where we're really going to hit on today is chapter 4. And how do people respond to this message of the gospel? It's clearly very offensive, but at the same time hopeful. And we're going to see different responses. So this brings us into chapter 4. And we're going to see two responses specifically in chapters 1 through 4. We're going to start in verse 4 because I like to start with positive and then go a little negative. We'll see how it turns out. Um, so in, in verse 4, it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to 5,000. 
to about 5,000. Now, this word for men is for literal men, and we can assume and most postulate that at this point we see a lot more than 5,000 people being saved, upwards of 10,000, even 20,000 now total since they were originally only 120 people in the upper room, which is crazy to think, what's so special about this message that brings them from 120 to literally about 20,000 total up to this point? So, in light of that, I want you to take hope and know that as you boldly proclaim, people respond. People hear what you're saying, and, and they find hope in it. They look to that hope, and they want to receive that. And that's so exciting, guys. Like, to know that people do respond positively is really encouraging. Even in the midst of turmoil... As we see, as we're going to see this other reaction, we see how people still respond in light of this. But in Acts chapter 4, 1 through 3, it says, As they were speaking, Peter and John, to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I don't know about you guys, but if I was listening to someone that got arrested, it'd be a lot harder for me to be like, do I want to do what they're doing? But in light of this, this is how exciting the gospel is, is it holds so much hope that even in light of them being like, I still want to follow that even though it might lead to me getting dragged off stage. It's like if 5,000 people, obviously there's not 5,000 of you, but if 5,000 people got saved as I was being dragged off of stage, maybe I made a bad pun or something, I don't know, but as if... I was being arrested, and you guys still came to want to believe and follow that, even in light of possibly being dragged off yourself and put in jail. This is how powerful the gospel was then, and this is how powerful the gospel is now. So, the other one is the rejection that we've read in verse 1 through 3. We have people who respond positively, uh, whether they believe or whether they are interested and show interest and maybe not ready to accept Christ, but at least curious and wanting to go further. But there's also those who do reject, like the Sadducees and these uh, high priests here. We're going to read more about them in verse 14 to 18 right now and see that But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So these guys recognize that it happened. They're like, all right, he got healed. We can't really deny that he got healed because everyone knows, and clearly there's something more here, but we don't like it even though there might be merit to it. We just don't like it, so we're like, hush. You know, and like this is how they respond to try to silence the truth. Even though they see it happening, they, they still just don't want them to talk about it because they're, they have pride and, and they're losing their ground by doing this. So... For instance, they were profoundly agitated, as we see in verse 2, just seeing that they were aggravated and annoyed at what was happening. And and there's many reasons for this. Number one is that as they were teaching the people, as we see in verse uh, 13, that you know, they were common men, and they're like, wait a second, these guys are like just regular buds, and like they're out here like preaching like Jesus, and they recognized they had been with Jesus and had power, and this usurps their authority because they're the teachers, right? These Sadducees are these lofty teachers who have spent years of their life training, and now they're the ones that should be teaching, not these other mambo-shambo guys. You know, like, they're, they're the ones. So to see someone else taking their place hits their pride and makes them be like, ah, I don't like this, even if it may be true. It's almost as if, like, uh, let's say for Jesse's Advanced Calc 1 class, a high schooler right out of high school came in and was like, hey, guys, I'm teaching a class today. I've never taken calculus before, but I got it. And, like, we're a little like, whoa, that doesn't make sense. But there's a beauty in Jesus that transcends what makes sense sometimes. And seeing that we are empowered to boldly proclaim stuff that we may not seem to necessarily have studied as diligently. Now, you're probably thinking, like, all right, so yeah, Peter and John, they were around Jesus. So they, they got to interact with him for three years. 
I haven't gotten to interact with Jesus for three years. How do you expect me to be as bold as them and to just have the words that they say? The beautiful thing, guys, is that the same Holy Spirit that empowered them is not just in them, but also in you. You have the same God behind you and with you and working through you that empowers you to boldly proclaim And on top of that, he's given you the words of Christ in the scriptures, the very breath of God, as 2 Timothy talks about, to know that this is from God himself to encourage us, to teach us, to grow us in our faith that we can boldly proclaim as we grow, and just building that relationship with him in prayer. So you too have the same ability that they have as they preach and speak before these people. As you can tell, I can speak really well um, (laughs) as I stutter. All right. In light of that, also their teaching was about Jesus, who, if you've read the New Testament, the Sadducees and these religious leaders, they killed Jesus. And they're saying Jesus came back to life, which is against what the Sadducees believe, and also that Jesus is the way where, again, they killed him, which doesn't look good for your authority. So, in light of this, they push back and want them to be silent. I don't want to do that. All right. So as we go forward now, we look at these two outcomes. We see people who receive this and want this and pursue the love of Christ and accept it. And we see those who push against. So today we're going to focus on those who push against. And we're going to see this play out in the rest of chapter 4 that we're talking about today through verse 22. And I just want to give you a quick outline as we go, which Adelaithia, another thing we try to do is we really try to be intentional to think about the head which is the knowledge and understanding what's going on, the heart, which is how we apply that, and the hands of actually doing that. So we're going to talk about the head and knowing why persecution and what does it look like, and then we're going to go to the heart of how can we respond well and go well through persecution, and lastly, what does it look like us to walk through this in faith? So first, why persecution? I want to start with a definition. And it's just simply persecution is the act of harassing, oppressing, or killing people because of their difference from society. Now, there's two types of persecution we can look at. Usually when people think of persecution, they think of physical persecution. This is when people physically get abused, beaten, hurt, killed, etc. We see this with like Daniel in the Old Testament when he's praying to a different God and they throw him in a literal den of lions. God was faithful, though, got him, yeeted him on, out of there, and he's all Gucci. Um, but the fact remains, he was persecuted and thrown in the den. We see in the New Testament with Stephen, who was stoned to death, dying for what he believed. We even see the early Christians being martyred with gruesome deaths. Like, You may have heard it, but like they would literally tie them to posts and burn them alive to keep gardens warm for like the Roman uh, rulers, which don't think about it too much, but like that's, that's, that's awful. Even today, uh, now that we live in an age of a lot of statistics and stuff, according to the world watch list, there is lots of persecution happening in several countries around the world many who are opposed to what we believe and even murdering to what we believe. Just last year alone, over 4,000 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons in these top 50 world watch list countries. Over 2,600 were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned in these same countries. So you're probably thinking like, all right, that's, that's pretty intense. Like, We don't really see that here in the U.S. I mean, if you look at it, like, we don't arrest people normally for their faith. We don't kill people for their faith. And so, like, we don't deal with physical as much. But there's another side to it, which is social persecution. Or maybe more um, just, you know, when you talk to people and when they kind of push against you or disagree. So, for instance, if you share with someone and they're annoyed or they strongly disagree, there will be people that don't like what you have to say. And we'll make it very apparent, very apparent sometimes. Um, try going out on campus and talking to certain people. It's a chipper old time. But there's also people who want to do something that 
you don't necessarily think is right because we see in the Bible that it says it's not right and we choose not to do that, but they want to do it. And how do you deal with that pressure and do you just bandwagon and go along with it or do you stand up for what you believe because you see something greater and a greater purpose there? So, it's hard sometimes, you know, and when I want you to be quiet for what you believe. An example of this for me was last year when RZAM came here, I had the opportunity to meet a guy from the LGBT community. Now, as Christians, we do have a stance on homosexuality that is, we, we think it is wrong. We, we do think it's outside of God's design for one man and one woman. Not to say that we're like, go to hell, but we, we firmly believe in loving those people and sharing with them the life of Christ for them. That even in this, there is hope in Christ that frees us to follow God's design. And we pursue them in love, not hatred. The reality is, even in this, as I shared this truth with him and what we believed and he shared what he believed, we still came to a point where we disagreed, but we couldn't even agree to disagree. I wanted to and be like, this is what I believe, but he was opposed to what I believe, even to the point that he was against that I even believed it and, and walked away mad at me for what I believed. And this is going to happen sometimes. Some people are opposed because they want to hold on to what they want, what makes them happy, like the Sadducees with their pride and their entitlement and their teaching and what they have, and they want to hold on to what makes them happy. But that's not what the gospel is about. It's about what makes you connected with God and have ultimate satisfaction in him. So as we look at what persecution is, what does the Bible say about persecution? And there's two points I want to hit on. Number one, that persecution is expected. And for this, we're going to turn to John 15. So, it'll be on the screen for those of you who don't have a Bible with you. Um, we're going to look at verses 18 to 21. So this is Jesus talking about what happens with persecution. And he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated, has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Because we follow Jesus, he says that we will be persecuted. We have never faced something that God hasn't faced first, though. Jesus went through anything we might face. He was belittled. He was talked against. He was downcast. He was literally crucified and murdered on a cross. There's nothing that you can go through that he hasn't already faced and overcome first. So, you're not left alone, though. In verse 33 of chapter 16, it says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's hope in this, that even though persecution is expected, that we have hope in Christ to have peace, that he has overcome the world and he has defeated death and anything that can come against us stands lacking compared to what Christ has offered us in him, which is peace and hope and new life and connection with God. So first, we see that persecution is expected. But secondly, we see that persecution is not a bad thing, but actually a good thing. Now, some of you are probably like, all right, persecution, getting killed or belittled or hurt, does not sound like a good thing. How the heck can that be? But I promise, the Bible says it is. So... Uh, we see that it's a good thing for two reasons, for growth and refining, that we learn to trust in God. In James 1, it talks to us in verse 2 through 4, and it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." 
It even goes on to say in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Jesus has provided the perfecting of our faith, that through persecution we may hone that, that by this testing we can grow and learn to lean on him because the reality, guys, when we are weak, he is strong. And he gets to show his strength through us and encourage us and challenge us. Because when things are going well, you're not going to look for help. But when things are challenging, we then have to turn to God more and ask him and receive that help through him. In 1 Peter 4, it tells us to not be surprised. But as we share in our suffering, Christ did as well. And we are blessed because of it. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about a thorn in his side, and he wants it to go away, but as he tries to get rid of it and pray for it to be rid of him, he learns that in his weakness, God gets to move and be strong. And we learn from his example in that. In Colossians 1, it says to rejoice in suffering because not only is it just something to help us grow, but our suffering leads to helping others. As we share our faith, we are sharing what is the most valuable thing for us to others and ultimately are serving others in our suffering to help them. And lastly, in 2 Corinthians 1, we have a promised comfort. Not just in eternity, because eternity is going to be amazing, guys. I don't know if you've read or thought about it, but like we literally get to be in millions and millions and millions of years with God in heaven with perfect satisfaction, perfect hope, perfect love, peace, joy, no shame, no sorrow, no like awkwardness. Like It's just going to be beautiful. But not only do we have a hope in that, but we have a hope and a peace even now. Even through these hard times, nothing compares, even though they're there, like these problems, these sufferings, they don't compare to this greater joy and hope we have in Christ that brings us that hope and that peace even amidst these sufferings. And you're not alone. You also have this community around you. As a body of Christ, we're here to encourage each other, to equip each other, to love each other, and to be there for each other. This is why we have our gospel communities, because they are a way that we connect with each other, encourage each other, and talk to each other through the challenges and through the hard times. We want to be there alongside each other. The Bible says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How beautiful it is when you allow other people to walk alongside you in your challenges. Don't do it alone. Trust and hope that others can walk alongside you. And if you're not in a gospel community, you should join it. Um, and lastly, we can learn from other believers as, and honestly, get perspective sometimes. There's a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves. And as we talked about earlier, there's a lot of persecution happening around the world in very gruesome and hard ways. One of these places is Iran. And this documentary, Sheep Among Wolves, is about these Christians who are being persecuted in Iran, yet they're still growing and seeing the fruit of what God is doing. And this is such an insightful quote for us to really give us perspective. When we walk outside, we really don't care if we get arrested. We are not upset if we get arrested. What is 50 years in prison compared to eternity with Christ? Wow. Learn from them. Learn from those around you. Read and see history and how others deal with persecution. And let them encourage you and challenge you and grow you as you deal with this. So, you're probably wondering, like, all right, this is cool and all. You've listed all these people that I don't know or haven't met, and, you know, like, I haven't experienced it myself. And so you're probably wondering, like, how has persecution not just happened, but, like, how has it encouraged you? Because so far it seemed pretty grim. And I just want to give an example back to RZIM. When they came to campus, they're literally out there for a week every day interacting with students as they walk by, challenged by some crazy people who like to argue, and really pushed against. But they're faithful to be out there and witness to these people boldly in what they believe. Uh, dealing a lot with apologetics and other things, but really just focusing on the gospel and the heart of why we share. In this, there was a certain student who came to their talks and came with the opinion of, this is all stupid, I'm going to make a documentary on how I watched everything and didn't become a Christian. Well, that student went, and after a few times, started to uh, ask some questions, and by the end of the week, gave their life to Christ. 
And <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I just love hearing stories like that. To see even when people come against us and try to push against us, God is at work and the Holy Spirit is moving as a beautiful opportunity to bring people to him and know that there is good coming out of these bad things. And that's why we count it all joy because we don't have a perspective from God who sees everything. We only have our limited perspective, but God sees so much more than we do. So, we've talked about what is persecution and why does it happen. But now I want to talk to you about how can we face persecution and rejection well? Because as we're seeing, it's hard. It's challenging. It may be expected and it may be a good thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. So how do we face it well? And this is where we get to learn from them in Acts 4. So the first thing is that they were submissive to persecution and authority. In Acts 4, 5 through 7, it says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Now, I want you to notice what's not in that passage. It doesn't say they're like, oh, get out of my way, like, come on, stop pushing me around. They just went. They did and followed where they were led and where they were brought before. They didn't fight. They didn't argue. They were submissive despite the fact that they're being persecuted. They submitted. And I want you to recognize as we look at perspective and seeing that God has a greater perspective than us, we look that this is an opportunity for them not just to speak to the masses, but look at who they're in front of. It says that they're in front of the Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. They are now going before the cultural elites of Israel in the largest city in Israel, Jerusalem. This is such a huge opportunity. And in their willingness and submissiveness, they now get to boldly proclaim not just to the masses that they did at the beginning, but now to these cultural leaders. So, They did not resist, and they saw this as this big opportunity to go before them. Now, in light of this, when we think of submissiveness, a lot of times, this is not the way we take things. I don't know about you, but we're in a pretty intellectual society, and we like to get the last word. We like to argue. It's who we are. But the reality is God is not calling us to argue and try to win a debate. He's calling us to be submissive and hear them and try to reason with them lovingly and caringly, not to get the last word in, but to point them towards Christ. Because the reality is, we don't have to fight for the last word because God has already had the last word. So don't worry, he will defend himself in that way. And just trust that as you humbly and boldly go before people, you do not have to fight, but you can submit and hear and listen to them. It's not about pride, but sharing God's love. So number one, we see that they're submissive to authority and persecution. And number two, we see that they find strength in the Holy Spirit. In verse eight, it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. If you guys are wondering if I was right about this or not, it's right there. Very bold, very plain. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is where they find their hope and their power. Because again, we go back to one of the main ideas of our time in Acts is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. That through the Holy Spirit, that is where we can get the power, right? In our own strength, we fall short. In fact, we even try a lot of times to do things in our own strength and realize that we don't necessarily know everything. Some of you may think you do, but you don't. And trusting in the Holy Spirit and letting him lead us through that like Peter and John did here. So, we see that they're submissive that they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and number three, that they boldly proclaim the gospel where no man has proclaimed before. Um, in verse 11 and 12, we see them speak on what they say. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So this is very reminiscent of the sermon they gave in chapter 3 that we talked about at the beginning and sharing the gospel plainly and boldly before them, saying, you guys have messed up, but there's hope. And Jesus is here to save us and connect us with God, and it's only through him that we have that. 
So when it comes to boldly proclaiming, the reality is we boldly proclaim what we care about. If anyone knows me, you know exactly where I'm about to go with this. So I love Star Wars, and I proclaim it very loudly and clearly um, because I care about it. And I could talk for hours about Star Wars, in fact, sharing my opinions even when a lot of people think they're wrong, as Derek will probably affirm in a second. I think the prequels are the best trilogy of the Star Wars universe. And I will fight for that and stand for that. You all look so happy as I said that. Um, <laughs> but the reality is, I could talk about this, and I will stand up to people who say I'm wrong, like Derek. We've had this conversation before. Um, <laughs> but in light of this, this is the truth, and the same with our faith. Will we stand up for what we believe? Will we defend it even when others disagree with us? Will we be bold to share it because it's what we care about? Do you care enough about what God has given you to share it with others and show them something that gives them so much more life than my opinion on the prequels on Star Wars? There's so much more life in the gospel and the hope in Christ. So I encourage you, please, do not concede for, out of fear. It's hard to be rejected, but we do it for a greater purpose and not to clam up, but recognize that he has given us the strength through the Holy Spirit to boldly proclaim what we find hope and life in, which is Jesus Christ himself and the gospel he has preached to us. So, as we look at how do we work through persecution well, um, we see submissive to authority, find strength in the Holy Spirit, boldly proclaim the gospel, and then lastly, number four, is to be obedient to God no matter the cost. Oftentimes, our idea is like, all right, we'll do this, but, you know, once it gets hard, I'm just going to, like, take a step back. I, I'd, I'd rather, like, you know, not deal with that. You know, I'm going to draw my own line in the sand. Like, if it gets, oh, it hurts, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm sorry. But the reality is God calls us to be obedient no matter what, to follow him. Because when we look at verse 18 through 19, we see what happens as they are told to be quiet and their response. So in 18 through 19, it says, So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So here they're told, basically, we want to put a ban on your preaching and what you're saying. Kind of like when we have like public speaching zones uh, like on campus and like you can't talk about certain things other places. It's a ban to say you can't say what you believe here. And they respond boldly to say, you can judge for yourself what God says, but like we're just doing what we believe he has told us to do. And they go further in Acts 5, verse 29, when Peter says, uh, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now I want you guys to recognize, for Peter, as he stands before these, Sanhed or these Sadducees, um, this is a profound moment for him. Because this is the man that, though bold and crazy for Christ and does all these things, he's the man who, when asked if he was, like, connected with Jesus when Jesus was on trial, he denied him three times. And then the rooster crowed and he realized what he had done. And here we see him being called out again for what he believes. But this time, he doesn't deny it. He doesn't run. But he stands up and pushes against these people who before called him out, and he ran from them. So what changed? I submit to you that this is the power of the Holy Spirit, that as God is working through you, you see this empowerment, this change, and that even the most scared person like Peter can now be emboldened to share so excitedly and, and life-givingly in everything he does. In the same way, you too can be encouraged to know that you can speak boldly before him. So as we see these four things, that we are uh, to be submissive, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we are to boldly proclaim, and that we should be obedient no matter the cost, we now have to wrestle with what does this look like? And I have to ask a question. What do you desire more? 
to have people like you and care about you for the short time on earth and what others think about you, maybe socially, you know, having status and, and having fun and doing these things? Or do you care more about the gospel and this hope that you have in Christ? What he has given you so freely and joyfully in him to be freed from anything that could bind you or hold you down, but to have hope in him. And this is, this is the, the balance of, of what do we care more about. And the reality is we must be willing as believers to surrender social currency for the sake of the gospel. Now, there's nothing wrong with being liked. I'm not saying go out there and make sure everyone hates you. I'm not saying that. Please don't do that. You can still have friends. Um, but we can't sell out and give Jesus a makeover with the people we're around. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We cannot have two masters, guys. It's one or the other as the, the forefront, the main, and the focus. So I encourage you, choose Christ, who loved you so much that he gave his life for you. Now the reality is, this is a really painful topic for me. Um... This is probably one of my biggest struggles. Uh, I'm, a lot of you guys love Enneagrams. You've probably heard me talk about them a little bit, but I'm a number two. This is titled The Helper. And the reality of The Helper is the motivation for The Helper is to make people like him. So I like to make people like me. And so when people don't like me, it makes me sad, and it makes me, ah! And I, I don't know about you guys. Maybe some of you are like, I don't care what people think about me. I'll just go tell them right now the truth. It, it makes me sweat. It makes me, like, freak out. I'm like, I want to tell you something, but it's hard. Uh, and in light of that, like, it's hard, and it's challenging, and I'm selfish because I want people to like me and to enjoy my, my life and be a part of what I'm doing. But the reality is God hasn't called us to that, and there's something so much greater. And you're probably like, all right, you keep saying all these things, and like it sounds kind of hard, and like you're calling me out on a lot of stuff, and I don't like it. But I'm encouraging you that the risk is worth it. And that one day, all opinions will pass away before God of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth. As you go before him, none of those people's opinions of you matters. It's only your position be between you and God as you have received and know Christ Jesus. Because the reality is, if, if I wanted to, if I wanted to do what I wanted to do, I'd probably be sitting right now at home, sleeping in, you know, get up a little bit later, play some video games, watch TV for 12 hours straight, and be happy. But he's called us to a harder life, and you're wondering, like, all right, what's wrong with that? I mean, besides wasting a lot of time, and, you know, maybe you should be working on your schoolwork, uh, or, you know, if you have kids, play with them instead of watching TV for 12 hours straight. Um, there is purpose in our life beyond this, right? So I want to bring us, as we face this reality and the seemingly daunting task, how do we do it? If you're a believer, I want to bring you back to verse 8 and know that we have strength in the Holy Spirit. You can never say that enough, that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and as long as you try to do things in your own strength, you will continually fail. But secondly, this is the biggest hope I can give you right now. If you're, if you're dozing off, wake up real quick and hear this. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Wow. Wow. The only reason we do what we do is because Christ did it for us first. He showed so much love to us that we are overwhelmed at this. And before that, we have no like, desire except to go outward and to show that love to others. This idea of controls, because I don't know about you, control sounds a little strong, but it's the Greek word that they use when they talk about besieging a city, that it so impresses upon you, this love of Christ is so compelling that we can't help but share it with others. 
That our true motivation is not just because like, okay, I want to be obedient. You know, Josh told me to do this on Sunday. But because he is so amazing and he loves you so much. He literally died for you. And you're going to sit on your, on your seat right there and do nothing? He has called you to share and boldly proclaim the witness of what he has done for you so that you can't sit alone, but others can receive that same love and joy and hope that you have that without they are going to hell. We believe that as Christians, guys. And if you are not going to stand up and boldly proclaim to them, they're going there. Do you love them enough to share that same love that Christ has for you that you now get to share with them to save their lives? Which is motivated first by the love of Christ for us. Don't stand by idly, but let the Lord work through you because you have a greater purpose now to save the lives of those around you as he has loved you so much, you now get to love others. So I'm going to have the band come back up as we get ready for communion. And if you're in here and you're not a believer, you're probably thinking this is a little crazy because as a Christian, part of our calling is that we expect persecution. We, we think it's hard, it's challenging. We're not saying like life as a Christian is easy, but in, dis, in light of the hard times, there's hope. In light of the hard times, there's support through Christ. And I encourage you, consider him. Look to him and find hope in him that just as we were saying in 2 Corinthians 5, that the love of Christ is so great, it can be so great for you too. This message of hope that even in despite of persecution and challenges, his love is so much greater than anything that can come against you. His power is beautiful and there for you. If you receive it, you believe it, and, and you follow him. I encourage you to consider that, and as we take communion, just to sit in prayer for that. And if you're a believer, as we take communion, this is an act of worship, to recognize this God that we serve, who loves us so much, and to see what he's done for us on the cross by sacrificing his body and his blood. So I encourage you, in your time and your seat, to pray that if you're struggling because you care too much of what people think of you, to give that to him and lay it before him. If you struggle because you tell your friends, but you don't like to go outside of your friend group and share boldly with those beyond your friends, in your classes, on campus, in your neighborhoods, to be bold and have the Lord encourage you in that to know that you are able to do that and ask that he would empower us to do that seeking his help through it. And then as you take communion, remember his love for you, that he loved you first. He's endured everything you could possibly endure, and he's there to help you walk through that boldly and with joy and hope. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, this is not an easy message to hear sometimes. It's hard, but it's the truth. And I ask that you would truly be challenging us this morning and calling us out, God. And as we have struggle and we see this as hard and challenging, that, that we would find hope in you. God, that we would not try to rely on our own strength, but we would look to you, Holy Spirit, and know that you are good, you are righteous, and you are the one we seek and find that hope, that rest, and that joy in. So we give this time to you, Father. I pray that as we reflect on your love for us, that you would encourage us and remind us of your love and boldly empower us to go out and share at all times to all people as witnesses to the world as you have called us. We just pray all these things in your name. Amen.